Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader, and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Kristin Lajeunesse, freelance marketing consultant, owner of Kale Media and founder of Will Travel for Vegan Food. After graduating from Emerson College with a master's degree in integrated marketing communications, Kristin landed a dream nine-to-five office job with an animal rights non-profit organisation in Boston. In 2011, she felt herself drawn to entrepreneurism and launched various businesses, including Vegan Weddings, which she recently sold, and Kale Media, while still working full-time. One day, she got the idea to quit her job, sell her stuff and move into a van to travel across the US and eat at every vegan restaurant. This passion project, which lasted two years, led to a book and website, Will Travel for Vegan Food. During this time, Kristin amassed a large social media following, including more than 100,000 followers on Facebook alone. Since then, she's travelled across the globe, earning income from freelance marketing, lifestyle design coaching and consulting, as well as her online programme on how to launch a book on zero budget. A true digital nomad, Kristen helps passion-driven individuals gain clarity around their goals and business ideas. In this interview, she talks about how a passion project can turn into a career and initiate additional business offerings the challenges of working and running a business while travelling, the first three things you need to do when landing in a new place to ensure you can get your work done, why she advocates not paying to promote Facebook posts unless it's something of major importance, the downsides of mass following others on social media to gain followers, how to get a sponsor for your book or other project, and much more. Here's the interview with Kristin Lajeunesse of Kale Media and Will Travel for Vegan Food. Hello, Kristin. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, that's (laughs) wonderful. So, really excited to talk to you because you are really a a digital nomad and you've really taken that to its ultimate. Uh, You know, as we've said, um, uh, just mentioned, you've been, you're traveling around the world. You've Mm. got hired a van, quit your job, hired a van and ate in all these uh, restaurants across the US. Now you're here in Australia. So, for the purposes Mm. of the listeners, (laughs) I'm actually doing an in-person interview for once. I got to meet the lovely Kristin and we've been hanging out at festivals, Cruelty Free Festival, World Vegan Day, and we're sitting here um, doing this interview today. So the first question I always ask everyone is why? Because you had a job and then you launched some other businesses. You had, you've got Kale Media and you also had Vegan Weddings, which I yes. believe you recently sold. And you've got um, We'll Travel for Vegan Food and you yeah. travel on the road, you do freelance marketing while you're traveling. So tell us a bit about your why. Why do you do what you do? That's a tough question because it all feels like it's been happening really organically. Um, Before I started traveling, I was working in an animal rights organization in their communications department. I was putting to use my graduate degree, which is in marketing, and I was working for an organization that I support and believe in. Um, And so 
life was good, things were good, um, but there was just something internally that felt unsettled, something I couldn't quite put my finger on. And when I started exploring that, I uh, came across digital, other digital nomads, people that were creating what they called passive income and um, developing their lifestyles around their greatest passions and figuring out how to make it happen kind of no matter what it took. So I really obsessively started reading about what these people were doing. And so then I started asking myself questions on how, you know, how would I spend my time if money wasn't a thing or, or if I wasn't worried. Yeah. And it's a tough one because we all want to, you know, think about that life. What would that look like? I didn't have to make money and all this. Right. Um, So this was kind of brewing around this idea of, okay, if I didn't worry about all the, my student loans and other, other things (laughs) I need to worry about as a proper adult, you know, what would, how would I spend my time? And so I started thinking, well, you know, I, I fell in love with food after becoming vegan. And I was already that vegan friend that was taking pictures of their food when you go out to eat. You know, I was like, wait, don't eat anything yet. And then I was also really interested in travel, but I hadn't really done much at all. I just talked about it a lot. So these ideas were brewing around. And I also knew at some point in my life that I wanted to be self-employed, but I didn't know what that would look like or how I'd get there. So all these things were kind of merging and rolling around in my head. And one afternoon I was uh, coming home, not coming home, I was on lunch break from work. And I go back to my literal cubicle at the animal rights organization I was working at. And the words will travel for vegan food just kind of appeared before me. And it was almost like this awakening where I knew exactly what I needed to do. Um, So I had composed an email to my parents that afternoon. I said, you guys, I have the best idea. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to move into a van and I'm going to try to eat at every vegan restaurant in the country. Now, that's kind of how the idea for World Travel came to me. But there was so much more that needed to happen. As you were saying, I needed, you know, you had discovered that I had these other businesses, vegan weddings. Um, Kale Media is actually the name of my overarching business. So I can monetize and freelance and all that stuff. So the why... It was a a drawing, or as cliches might sound, a calling almost, where when I realized that I had these interests and that I could maybe figure out a way to make money while pursuing them. So I started to think of any way that I could that I could bring these things together. And, and so anyway, I started kind of dabbling in my first blog. I was teaching myself how to create a website using WordPress. And I was just trying to get my hands in all of the things. And, and for the why aspect of it, I suppose it was more just feeling a draw to, or a calling almost, to to go down this road of turning my love of veganism and food into more of a career. But I didn't think of it that way at first. I just thought, I really want to do this project. I want to see if I can make it work. Um, Because actually the first two years of my traveling around, I was living off of donations the whole two years. So I had started the vegan wedding website while I was teaching myself how to build a website and how to monetize it. So I was kind of selling uh, advertisements on the site from vegan vendors and things like that. So that was my first um, kind of business that I started on my own. And it was silly because even though I, I noticed that there was no uh, vegan wedding website out there yet, which is why I thought I would try this one, um, I don't care about weddings. I'm not interested in that stuff at all. So it was kind of a futile beginning because I wasn't very passionate about it, right. which is why I ended up selling it a couple of years ago because I thought it had a lot of potential. There's still kind of nothing out there like it, but I just didn't have the drive to kind of make it work. So... So I guess the short answer to your question is I just felt drawn to to the lifestyle of nomadic living and then 
am interested in kind of doing whatever it takes to make it work. Love yeah. that. Oh, I really love about that. It's like you said about following your passion and because one of the things I was going to ask you is like, did you set up this whole world travel for vegan food, right? Did you know, right, it's going to become a book, it's going to become a brand? I know from no, what I'm hearing from you, it was. Yeah. And I really like that. I had a similar thing when I had the epiphany to write the Vegan Ventures book and I've had people say, oh, but you should have created an online program before you did this and the other. And I was just like, sometimes you just know mm. when you've got to do stuff. So I, yeah. I love that you just, you really followed your intuition, which I think yeah. a lot of us like ignore um, and just went for it and you know I mean obviously for some people you know working um, you know full-time job in animal rights organization that's like oh my god it's like their dream job and you obviously loved it but there was something deeper calling and you had the courage to to Mm -hmm. follow it so I think that's that in itself is really really fabulous and inspiring Um, so let's talk about some of the challenges so tell us about some of the challenges well you talked about one of the challenges I guess is starting up vegan weddings mm-hmm. where you didn't have the passion yeah um what about in terms of then of will travel for vegan food like when you decided when did you decide to kind of turn it into a business mm-hmm. and a brand and what were some of those challenges that's the thing I don't view will travel as a brand or a business because I haven't fully ever monetized it now I have had merchandise t-shirts and things in the past which I didn't enjoy figuring out how to do that part of it. And I think because the first two years of the project were fully supported by donations, I never felt comfortable asking for money beyond that. Now, there is a book, and that's a whole other story because I wasn't planning to write a book, uh, which we can talk about in a little bit. But um, I think because my, my graduate degree is in marketing communications, when I set out to do the project, my brain immediately was just going down the road of, you know, what, okay, this is kind of a cool name. And then what would I use for, you know, the imagery? And my mind was just already working in that direction. There wasn't necessarily a, a plan behind it where I, where I was thinking, okay, in order to get X number of followers, I need to do blah, blah, blah. It wasn't that way at all. It was just, I need a platform because people are, are giving me money to do this. And I mm-hmm. want them to see that their money is being used the way yeah. that I said it was going to. So I had created these online, this online um, persona, not persona, but the online presence of Will Travel, um, simply to to demonstrate that I was doing what I said I would do. So even to this day, I mean, the, the Will Travel pro- project has been going on for about five years now, and I still don't look at it as a business. And even though there's a book um, that the publisher makes money from, not me yet, um, oh, but okay. even though there is, you could look at it, you know, as monetizing through the book, and and I have used that this channel to to try to sell other products and services that I do because I have had questions from the vegan community, which has led me to create these other businesses as well. Um, So, yeah, I've never viewed it that way. I think it's just kind of organically there have been pieces that I have pulled from it or, or approached in order to explore monetizing things. But, um, but yeah, the Will Travel brand itself, I don't view it as like as a business, actually. It's just a passion project, really. Cool. What about them with Kale Media, like your freelance kind of marketing mm-hmm. and the type of and trainings that you do? What were some yeah. of your challenges starting out there? Uh, well, it was trying to figure out if I could charge for my time and what was essentially just talking to people about what they wanted to do. Because what was happening is as the road trip was ending... I was getting a lot of questions from people about, you know, how do I, how can I quit my job and do something? And how can I go out and follow my dreams and do all these things? And so I, I ended up really enjoying having those conversations. And sometimes three to five hours later, you know, I'm on the phone with someone or we're having coffee and it turns into this whole day where we're just 
coming up, brainstorming together to figure out what they can do. And then, of course, my marketing brain would kick in and we would start talking about how they could do some unconventional promotion and, you know, guerrilla marketing and all these things. So it would take so much time. And I loved it, but I realized maybe I could actually charge for that time. And that's how the consulting end of it started. But the challenge was um, getting people from, can I pick your brain, right, when they say, I like what you're doing. Can I pick your brain and buy you a cup of coffee? Moving them from that to actually asking them for money, that's the hardest thing to do because you I enjoy it. I want to give my time, but look, I also have to feed myself and pay my student loans, right? Absolutely. I love that. Mm-hmm. I've actually got a blog post. I don't know if you've seen it on the Vegan Business website, mm-hmm. and it's actually called Don't Pick My Brain, Rent It. And it's literally <laughs> yeah. all about that. It's a guide for vegan service providers. Oh, and I even say, like, being like some of it, like, you know, you kind of don't want to be thought of as, you know, because it's for the animals or for right. the cause, it should all be free. And if you don't provide it free, you're this heartless capitalist, you know, greedy person. So I get it. But you're right. You've got to, we've all got to support ourselves. And when, you know, we've got these skills, you've spent your time and money educating yourself in marketing. You've got these skills and these talents and it's okay to charge for them. So I love that you've brought that up, Mm -hmm. actually. I'll put a link to the blog post. I'll send it to you as well. It's a a good one. So what about then some of the challenges involved? And I think we touched on this when we were in Melbourne last week. You were saying about your, like, internet connections while you're travelling. How does it work? Like, what are some of the challenges and how do you overcome them from doing this paid work whilst on the road, Mm -hmm. literally travelling around the world? Yeah, the the biggest challenge is balancing, well, all of the pieces, because I don't have an office or a a space I can rely on for Wi-Fi all the time. So every time I land in a new place, my priority is, where do I have Wi-Fi? Where can I find quiet space to do work? And then figuring out when I have blocks of time to do that and balancing in actually being able to enjoy where I am and documenting it, right? Because my primary passion is really this will travel stuff. So immediately I get somewhere, I have my camera out, I have my phone, I want to take pictures of all the food and the scenery and video and all the things. And then I have to back up a minute and be like, okay, well, I still need to make sure I get that freelance work done or, or have that client meeting. And so the challenge is when I land somewhere is making sure I have my priorities straight and not get, not <laughs> jump into the stuff that I might be a little more excited about in terms of the sightseeing and, and food spotting right. and all of that. Because even though I'm documenting it while I'm out and about, I also have to find time then to edit that content and put yeah. it out there as well. Now, for a little while, the past few months, I had a sponsor. So there was even more priority to make that happen because my exchange with them was monetary support for video tours, vegan video tours of cities. So I had to balance finding time to edit videos, which takes me for anywhere from four to six to eight hours to edit one video video together, depending on how much content I have from, say, one day at a festival or, um, you know, a week's worth of food things, you know. So the videos take a while. The blog posts take even longer because I don't actually enjoy writing that much. So that takes a little (laughs) bit longer. And then my freelance work is about 20 hours a week or more. So it's really just making prioritizing each piece and making sure that no matter what happens I need to get that stuff done so it's finding wi-fi finding quiet space and then making a a list of how to prioritize each of the things I have to do every week do you got are you quite a good time management sort of person no I'm terrible (laughs) (laughs) I like to make lists at least (laughs) yeah no I I try but you know and it's different every time I land in a new place I there have been instances where I've struggled for days to, to find, like, reliable Wi-Fi or something, which yeah. is obviously, like, a first-world woe is, oh, it's, you know, not a terrible issue, you know. But for the work that I do, it does have to be a priority. Absolutely. So it can yeah. create quite a bit of stress, actually. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, got it. So, um, talking about that, so your brand is essentially you, um, mm-hmm. and obviously there's only so much of you, and like we just talked about, there's only so much time and hours. So, what do you do? Like, how do you broaden your, or how do you kind of, yeah, broaden your base? Like, what, how do you sort of leverage your skills to reach a broader base of people mm-hmm. and to make more money? Because you talked about passive income as well as that one on one sort of time. Yeah. I don't think I do a good job of it. Like in theory, I know how I should be spending my time, right? In addition to the things I just mentioned of my priorities, I also should make time for a bit of self promotion or outreach to get other clients or to if there are passive other passive income products that I I do have in the queue and that are ready to go that I just haven't sat down to create the niche website for them or whatever it is to promote them. It's creating the space to to promote the things that I do have. So, sorry, what was the question? How do you leverage your skills yeah. to reach that broader base? So it sounds yeah. like you've got some ebooks and some online yeah. trainings which you're yeah. planning to to put out there. Yeah, yeah. So I do have the the problem is that I have too many ideas, right? So <laughs> in saying leveraging the skills, sure, I could do all these ten different things. My challenge is making sure that I focus on one or two at a time. Oh, okay. Um. So that's good advice, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I. I suppose the skills that I'm working with are just my background in, in marketing and and I really enjoy promoting the products and services because I like to demonstrate that you can do it in a way that's non-invasive and I think there's this stigma with marketing, quote-unquote marketing in general, where yeah. it's, you know, just always got to be big and hard and negative and all these things. Yeah. Um, so I like the idea of coming up with kind of different ways to promote my products and services, but... To be honest, the last few months of traveling abroad, I haven't done any of that stuff. I've just been maintaining my existing um, income streams just to get by. And yeah. then once I'm uh, once I'm more settled in Thailand, which is my next destination, then I'll be able to get back into my routine. Because, you know, there's this idea of being a digital nomad. Oh, you're always in this new place and it must be fun and easy and exciting and kittens and puppies all over the place. <laughs> And while that is great, it's still you still need to have some routine in order to get stuff done. At least I do. Right. I need some right. some space to really dig into the projects and things. So my preferred method of travel is actually to be in one place three to six months at a time okay. um, so that I can kind of not only dig into the, the community and culture of where I am, but also get my work done yeah. and work on these other or different or new projects and not stress about the fact that I need to plan my visa and passport thing and the, all these other, all the other logistics that we're not even talking about today, like all the little things. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Now that makes that makes sense. I'm glad you said that because like you said, I think there is this kind of glamorous thing about, you know, the whole sitting with your laptop on the beach being, and it all being cruisy. Right. But I, so I love that you've mentioned all that. Well, actually, there's a whole lot of other stuff yeah. to it, particularly if you're, uh, yeah, you know, looking to, to bring those incomes streams in so now that's great thank you for for sharing that so do you have any staff like do you have anyone help you or is it kind of you doing everything Mm -mm. it's just me yeah over the years I've I've tried working with um or I have successfully worked with a few different people or had people kind of work on commission or volunteer some combination um and it's it's helped like with the vegan wedding website I had some people uh, working with me which was great because again I didn't know anything about that industry and I had people working with me who just had a vegan wedding and they're all excited about it um, but I found that especially now while I'm traveling in the capacity that I have been, like a new country every few weeks, which is 
exhausting. Amazing. I'm not going to complain. Amazing. <laughs> um, but it's too much to try to balance bringing someone else in. I think if I yeah. if my yeah. businesses or, or other products or services were any bigger than they are now, I could maybe try to pull someone in and work with them. But um, I just don't have the brain room right now to, to work yeah. bring someone else in and work yeah, with them. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about so-called competition. So mm-hmm. nowadays, like I say, we, we sort of know you as, as well as you've got your freelance marketing, we know you as a you know, blogger and blogger. And there's obviously nowadays there's been an explosion of, you know, other vegan mm-hmm. bloggers, vloggers, writers, coaches, life coaches, business mm-hmm. coaches, marketing consultants. So quite a lot out there how do you go about standing out Mm -hmm. in both within the vegan business arena appealing to vegan business owners Mm -hmm. and outside of that well I tend to believe that that your whatever it is that you're selling or providing is automatically unique because it's from you so I could be sharing the same exact message as Marie Forleo right um but she has a different way of delivering that message, just in her tone of her voice, as simple as that, right? And some people will love the way she does it, and some people won't. Some people will love the way I do it or the way that you do it. And so I actually don't, I never sit on or think about how can I differentiate myself in that regard, because I know that the way that I create a product or service is automatically different because it's coming from me. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge there, though, is I think we like, we see other people that are successful or where we want to be and we try to model what we're doing after them and then unfortunately what can sometimes happen is we start to sound and look like that other person and that's the problem you lose kind of your own character in it so even if you're creating a product or service that has nothing to do with you so we can talk about will travel because it is as you were saying earlier kind of based on my personality or character even if I was creating something completely outside of that I still need to let a little bit of my personality drive the content, the way it's written, because I need to speak to the people that are going to be drawn to the way that I present something. So I never really get caught up or try not to get caught up in competition or differentiating myself. I just know that in producing content in a way that feels authentic and exciting to me should be enough. Now, I know it depends on how big you're planning to grow your business and if you're going to have employees and doing all these things, but for someone that's just working by themselves, for themselves, it seems to be working for me that way at the moment. Excellent, excellent. I love that you shared that. That's a a really good point because I know I think we could all, like you say, get caught up in that whole comparison thing. And particularly if Mm -hmm. someone's further ahead than you, like, you know, they've got a ton more followers and they've got a load of content, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, oh, well, what's the point almost? Or, you know, we try Mm -hmm. and be like them and, like you say, lose the the character. So, yeah, and I'm really glad that you've shared that. That's really um, inspiring stuff. So let's talk a little bit about marketing. So what about the word vegan? I ask this to Mm -hmm. everybody. The use of the word vegan or not, obviously you've used it and will travel for vegan food you used it in vegan weddings and you've got mm-hmm. kale media which is a nice <laughs> yeah. for vegetable no, vegan. what are your thoughts on uh, the use for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs on whether and how much they should use the word vegan or not mm-hmm. I think it depends on how comfortable they are with it I mean I I identify with the word vegan personally so it makes sense for me to be including that word in on my platforms and not and in the branding and whatnot. Um, but let's say I was starting a new restaurant and uh, from the outset my focus is differentiation outside of my personality. So I, I know that I'm going to want to create something that I'm choosing my target audience to be non-vegans. So I know, okay, non-vegans, they might be afraid of the word vegan. And then working kind of backwards from there. Um, 
I really think it depends on the person and the type of business. I mean, I've seen amazing, successful restaurants that do not use the word vegan, and they they credit that with the fact that they're successful. And then the opposite, restaurants that are booming that use the word vegan in the title of the restaurant, and they think it's because they're drawing in the vegan. So I think, honestly, I don't think there's a way to do it wrong. I think you just have to have to move in the direction that feels comfortable for you. And if you're going about your business and planning it from step one in knowing who your, your target audience is, then that will help clarify how much you should use the word vegan. I mean, it really just comes down to market research and knowing where you're advertising, who you're advertising to, and what the type of person is that you're going to bring in. Do they already read books that use the word vegan or not? You should know this about your client or customer before promoting to them. Yeah, Yeah. great idea. And I think that touches back to what you just said as well about bringing your own character and your own voice through because like for example like I looked at the the sales page and the content of your um, book writing book promoting um, Mm -hmm. online course that you do which is great and like you can just see like just the terminology that you use Mm -hmm. like you know it's appealing to a a certain person and they will Mm -hmm. be drawn to that so and similar I guess yeah with the word vegan I guess a lot of younger people particularly nowadays millennials they're not frightened by the word vegan so much as sure and we have a range of these days you know there are people that use plant-based because that's more accessible to a certain demographic demographic or people that just say they're health conscious like you could really just kind of come from any angle I think you just need to have super duper clarity on who you're talking to awesome let's talk a little bit about marketing and social media marketing so you've Mm -hmm. got a really large following you know you've got over a hundred thousand followers on will travel for vegan food on Facebook alone um what tips can you give uh, some vegan business owners? Because that's the big thing nowadays. Social media is changing a lot and businesses are finding it kind of harder and harder to, A, get those big you know, platforms organically and genuinely, mm-hmm. as well as then sharing their, their stuff and it's only going to a small percentage. So what advice can you give vegan business owners and entrepreneurs around social mm-hmm. media? There, you might notice the theme in, in what I'm saying, but I... My biggest piece of advice is always to to come from a place of what feels authentic for you. So posting with character, with how would you talk to your friend if you were sharing an exciting news article with them that you think that they would love? Like as you're posting things, don't worry about it sounding corporate or businessy. Think about how you would talk to a friend, and of course, depending on again who your demographic is, you might not want to be using swear words or things like that. Yeah. But just think about it coming from a place of who you are and, and how you would share information. Do not get caught up in the time of day or the day of week. It's too stressful to worry about that. And social media, especially Facebook, changes so quickly, mm-hmm. their algorithms, that it's. I would not worry about getting caught up in, in like the schedule of posts. Now, again, it can depend on the type of business that you have. If you're working within a, a business where it's driven by your personality, you can put a little more tone in there of who you are. Um, If you're maybe managing social media for someone else, you just want to make sure that you have the language clear on on what they're comfortable using. But I would say post with with your authentic voice. And uh, I know that can even be challenging for people, though, too, because they say, what does that mean? How can I find that? It's really just, again... If you if you found an article or, or a picture of food that you were excited to share with someone, how would you talk to them if you were sharing it with them? Would you just say, here it is, this thing I ate today? Or would you like, oh, guys, I'm so excited. Look at this thing that I found. And you can almost feel the energy through yes, through yeah. the words, um, even though you're not verbally, you know, exactly. like I just did. No, yeah, but you can exactly. kind of you could feel that. Yeah. What about in terms of growing the platform then? like Because, mm-hmm. you know, how do you get up, particularly for people who are starting out or they've maybe got, you know, a couple of thousand um, followers or likes? I mean, how do they get to those 
bigger numbers that, mm-hmm. that you'd hit? Yeah, there are a couple ways uh, that you can do that. Um, one of them is, I actually call it the switch and go method, which you don't even need to call it now because, again, platform the Facebook platform has changed where you don't need to physically switch over from managing Facebook as you personally to your business. Mm-hmm. You can just quickly kind of, there's a drop-down button where you can leave a comment as the yes. name of your business versus your personal page. So I used to call it the switch and go where you'd switch into your business account. Um, and in this case, you would just use the drop down now, but it's basically just networking. So from your business account, going on to other businesses, uh, business pages that you support, like want to interact with, or that have uh, a viewership or a type of person that you want to attract and just interacting with their posts. And I'm not talking about uh, the spammy ones that we've probably all seen where it's just a generic Cool, I like food too, or whatever. You know, (laughs) you can tell right away that it's like an Autobot or something. But take time, schedule 10 minutes a week at most, or every morning before you jump into your work, take five to 10 minutes and um, leave some comments on some other pages. You can do this on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the things. Um, On YouTube, wherever you're, you're most excited to be engaging. And go leave some comments, interact, just make sure that they're authentic and that you're doing it because you do want to connect with the people that are either managing the account or they're, you know, they're people that are uh, already engaging on the account that you're interacting with. Um, And you can also, uh, if people post, you know, questions or comments under another business's page, you can jump in into the conversation, but just make sure it's helpful and supportive and not like you're taking away from the person that's managing the account. Um, So that's, that's one thing. Um, Another thing is, especially on Facebook, just never pay for promoted posts. I've really I've experimented with this uh, quite a bit. As opposed to ads? Do you mean like the boost post? Uh, Yeah, so don't boost anything. Oh Oh, my goodness. So I've experimented with this and I I do think that the reason that Will Travel has has grown in the way that it has organically is because I I actively avoid paying. Now I've tried it over with different things over the years just to see what happens and with some of my clients we've experimented with paid posts as well or boosting posts. Um, and what Facebook does is they'll, they can obviously identify when you start paying for something. And so immediately when your advertising campaign ends, you'll notice a major decrease in the engagement on your page or the amount of views you're getting per post. And that's because they want you to keep paying so that they'll still keep showing your content. Um, and actually I was working with, um, uh, on a, with a Facebook page, a company that's like a, a, a marketing company uh, in a certain city. And they were just paying every single post they were making, they were paying, paying, paying wow. over the course of a year or so. And unfortunately they had gotten to the point where when they stopped paying for one, no one was seeing their content. And so when I experimented with the sun will travel f- a few years ago, um, I noticed it took about six months for everything to reset before the organic traffic started coming back in. So now my general rule is just not to pay unless I have something really important. Like I did pay to promote my book trailer because it's like a once in a lifetime thing. My first ever book came out. I really wanted to push it and I didn't care that it might take some while for everything to reset again. So I paid for that and then... I don't know, maybe when I did my Kickstarter way back in the beginning, I probably paid to promote something with that. Um, 
So yeah, I would say don't pay for anything. So um, not even like a Facebook ad, like a sponsored post. So not do you are you talking about just pressing that boost button or like going into that whole back end of Facebook and creating an ad? Or are you saying not to do any, any of that? The back end is is a bit safer because you can create the ad under your personal name. But I don't know how their how their algorithms work in terms of like if they're connecting you to all the business pages that you manage and mm-hmm. if they'll affect that. I'm not sure. Um the only challenge is if you're if you're paying for advertising for your something with your business, you probably want it to be under the name of your business, not yes. your personal name. Yes. So um, I've only really experimented with it with the boosting. Um, I haven't paid for the separate ads on the side Got before. Okay, so cool. you might just want to experiment and just okay. observe and see how yeah. it affects. Um, but yeah, I would just be wary, especially on Facebook. And now that Facebook owns Instagram, I would be wary of paying for Instagram stuff too. So the two things are try to avoid paying for things um, while it's still free, yeah. while it's still mostly free, and then um, and then just network. Take time to network. I think we get caught up in creating the products and, and services, right, yeah. and pushing, pushing, pushing. Yeah. Where really the best engagement and and the way you're going to get the most people coming to you and drawn to you is them seeing your name everywhere and really interacting with other pages rather than being like, come here, come here, come here, yeah. or you know, pushing stuff on them, just, just, or kind of naturally showing up where they already are. Got it. What about following people, like, in order Mm -hmm. to build your number of followers, like, do you Mm -hmm. advocate, like, I don't know, following a certain number of people um, Mm -hmm. each day or each week in order to, you know, that are obviously in your target market Mm -hmm. and that you're interested in, do you advocate that to try and get your following up faster? No, I just follow people I'm genuinely interested in following. I, and again, my, my uh, business pages are all, um, very much driven by just by my own interests. So I, I don't really have any business pages that are I'm just I've just created to sell one thing that's a bit outside of me. So really, all of my online presence, whether it's personal or through what might be considered a business page, is really just by my own personal interests. So again, it's coming from this place of do it as you would if it wasn't a business kind yeah. of a thing, like treat it the same way. And so I don't tell anyone that you need X number of, to follow X number of people in order to get that followership back. I know that people do this. I know it's a thing and I, I've seen it work, but then they have to go unfollow a bunch of people and start over again. And I've seen the effects of that as well, where people notice that you follow them and then you drop them to go follow a new set of people to get them. Yeah. And it just feel it feels a bit yeah. tough, you know, when you notice that that's happening. Um, and I've seen that happen with a few very successful um, Instagrammers actually where they're, they have a huge following, um, but it's it's all been through this follow unfollow thing, and so I think you at the end of the day you end up losing people who, who might otherwise be interested in what you're doing because they they can identify when you're doing it Got for it. those that's reasons. That's a good point yeah. actually, because yeah, that's not a very nice thing. It's that whole un, being unfriended on Facebook mm. kind of thing. Cool. Oh, and that reminded me too. Going back to Facebook about paying for stuff is you can typically identify an, a Facebook account that has gotten a lot of uh, likes through advertising because you'll notice they have, I don't know, hundreds of thousands or millions of followers. But when they post something, it's like one or two comments or likes. Yeah. And that's a clear indication that they've probably done Bought a lot the of paid yeah. paid promotion to get 
to get, uh, yeah, bought the light. Or even bought the light. Yeah, yeah. So, and when people get that and they realize that that's what's happened, again, I think it takes away some of the credibility of you as a business owner. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all that. That's really (laughs) good advice because I I think Facebook is a conundrum, like to everybody, like you say, it changes so much Mm -hmm. and what have you. So it's really good to get, particularly someone like yourself, you know, who's using this platform a lot to to get your take on it. So Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that. That's very generous. So let's talk a bit about the book then. So obviously having the book... um, you know, it's a. I know you didn't plan to do it, but it's a, mm. it's actually a great way to position yourself as an expert. Mm-hmm. And so, how did the book come about? Did vegan publishers, which are the publishers, lovely um, uh, guys, Casey Taft, who runs it, did they come to you? Did you approach them? I was very, very lucky um, that they had approached me. Uh, it was before they started their business. Um, him and his wife, Kristen, they they uh, were thinking of starting a publishing company. She has experience in publishing, I guess, prior to their current business. And um, so they had been following uh, what I was doing with Will Travel. So this is, again, another, this is a good example of, like, listening to your intuition, going down this path, and just kind of seeing what comes of it, right? Because beautiful stuff happens when you just start tuning into what your body is telling you. Um, So about a year into the the road trip, the road trip was two years total. So about a year into it, I get a message from Facebook or from Casey on Facebook and he said, Hey, Kristen, my wife and I have been watching what you're doing. We have this business thing in the works. And he was kind of vague about it. And he said, you know, um, we'd like to talk to you about working together on something. And I didn't know it was publishing or anything. So I called them up and we chatted and they said, yeah, we're thinking of starting a publishing company and we're wondering if you were planning to write a book about your road trip because it would be a great book. And I said, Oh, like, Oh, I don't really like writing and I can barely get myself to write these blog posts, let alone an actual book. And, and they were like, oh, don't worry. We think maybe we'll just do a coffee table book. How about that? We'll do that. Um, we'll just use pictures of, of the scenery and the food from your road trip. And I was like, all right, well, let's talk about that. So it actually took several months of chatting because um, they ultimately decided that that early on in their business, it wouldn't make sense to do a coffee table book. Right. It would have been quite... I didn't know this either, but it would have been very expensive to do, obviously, just pictures, right, printed. Um, So we had come to the conclusion that I would write a memoir, and I literally Googled how to write a memoir. I had no (laughs) idea. I had to look up what is in a memoir. I don't know. So I was just very fortunate that that the opportunity kind of fell into my lap. And here's the really interesting thing that happened, too, is I I say out loud, and I, I... always say when I share the story that I wasn't planning to write a book because it wasn't in the forefront of my mind. I was so caught up in the logistics of the road trip, planning where I was going, the timing that the restaurants were open, how I was getting there, the route I was taking, documenting, blogging. It was just, it was incredibly time consuming. Um, So I wasn't thinking about it, but the first month that I sat down to write the book, which was right after the road trip ended, I was like, Okay, road trip done, time to get into book writing. Um, I was flipping through an old journal that I kept when I was reading about all these passive income people and these lifestyle designers. Um, and I had this one journal where I would take notes and everything. And I just fl- randomly flipped to a page that had a list of like 10 life goals that I had. And number seven said, get published. Oh, and when I read it in that moment, I just started crying. And I was like, oh, <laughs> thanks universe. Like, you know, like it just, uh, it was really surreal to, to realize that I had put that intention out there and completely forgot about it. Yeah. And it just landed back in my lap. I mean, it was just so cool that that happened. So I owe a lot to Casey and Kristen for creating that opportunity for me because I, I mean, 
Like I said, I, I don't really like to write. I found writing the book really difficult. It took me what felt like a long time, <laughs> even though I had a deadline, right? So I had to get it done in a certain period of time. But yeah, it was really quite lovely that it just kind of came to me. Wonderful. Yeah. Love that. So let's talk a bit about the book marketing, because you've got a fantastic online course which teaches people, you know, how to launch their book and mm-hmm. market it, which is a really important one. Because, you know, you know, you've been published by vegan publishers. I've been both traditionally published and I've self-published. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> even when you're traditionally published, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the, uh, the, the companies, the publishing companies, they don't do a hell of a lot when right. it comes to the PR and marketing. Yeah. So I love that you've created this fabulous online course, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes page. So what advice and tips can you give us? Like, let's talk about sponsorship mm-hmm. in terms of the marketing. Sure. I think that's the main one because uh, you've talked a bit about how you know you've been been sponsored, um, which enabled you to do a book tour. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little couple of tips on how one can go about getting sponsorship for say for something like a book tour? Yeah, well, I think the the biggest challenge is just being organized because when a lot of companies are being approached all the time, especially like the first one you might think of, if you just think of anything on wanting to be sponsored, the very first company that comes to mind, they likely are getting propositioned all the time for sponsorship stuff. So my number one suggestion is to come at it from what might feel even almost too much of a professional angle. Have everything sorted out. So when I was trying to get sponsors for my book tour, because as you said, it's, you know, something I had to do on my own. It wasn't something that the publishers were able to help with. Um, I knew that I couldn't afford it on the existing salary that I had uh, with my freelance stuff. So I thought, okay, well, what type of businesses would I pitch to and I kind of made this list of who they would be what they do and why it would benefit them and then before I did any outreach at all I put together a media kit explaining what the book was about what I was about and what the benefit for them would be in in supporting me and I made it look all pretty and in a pdf I also did individual videos for each of the sponsors so I would sit down in front of the camera and for 30 seconds or one minute I would just say here's why I'm reaching out to you this is why it's important and there's there's really something to be said about being able to see someone, yeah. right? So this might be too much detail, but if you're doing something like this, make sure that the white of your eyes are visible in the video because there's been research that shows that when you can see someone's the white, you're close enough to them, you can see the white of their eyes, then you can get identify more with their with what they're asking of you or saying to wow, you. Wow, that's a great tip. That's so any video I'm, I'm looking at the white screen, I can see the white Yeah, but there's something, uh, you know, like uh, inherent that humans, when we interact with each other, if we're close enough to see the whole of the eye like that, then we're more inclined to pick up on what, so whether it's in video or in person. Um, so, yeah, and for vloggers or anyone that does video content, at least some portion of what the content that you create, make sure that people can see the white of your eyes and they'll be more uh, engaged. Um, so, yeah, I was creating custom videos for each one that I was pitching. I was creating media kits. And then I would, um, if I didn't already have a direct email for them, then I would, like, sign up for their an email list. Because what happens if you sign up for someone's email list, the auto-reply that comes in will usually have, a, like, a person's individual email attached to it. So then you can grab that email, have the personal email address. Um, but, yeah, it's really, I, I guess this is, all this rambling is to say just be, uber uber prepared and had like try to approach it really professionally and not just a random email it's like hey I'm thinking about doing this thing do you want to be a part of it um make it come across as if you're almost applying for a job like your resume is your media kit you've got even a video no one's expecting that um you know set it to a private thing if it's on YouTube so other people don't see it or have it be a, a password embedded one on Vimeo or something like that 
And um, and and don't be afraid to to, to bug them. I mean, you you know, you've got to. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Like, so, how yeah. many times do you have to follow up with people, or when do you kind of go, okay, mm-hmm. I've been following up, I'm not getting mm-hmm. any response? Because it's a bit similar to like when I teach people how to do media. It's like, yeah, you follow up with the journalist, and then maybe mm-hmm. you do one more follow up, but then there comes a point where you know it, you kind of end up really mm-hmm. kind of annoying them. So, what, what point? Yeah. Like when you say, don't be afraid to bug them. At what point is there a cutoff yeah. point? I usually go three t- three times before three I times, give up. Okay. Yeah, I'll do like one week between the first two and oh, then maybe okay. three or four days between two and three, um, the second and third attempt. Um, and then I might try to ring them if it's just through email. I might try to phone call um, in addition to the three emails. But, um, yeah, so only about three or four times really um, – Fortunately, with the few businesses that I pitched for the book tour specifically, um, many of them were were open to working with me because here was the other advantage that I had was the book talked about the restaurants I had gone to a little bit. And so some of them were in the book, right? So there was this kind of pressure of, oh, we're in your book. You'll be there for a lifetime. The least you can do is help me get to your store to like promote the book, right? Um, So there was a little bit of an an edge in that regard for some of the businesses too. Um, But yeah, I would say just be really organized, approach it like you're applying for a job almost. And, and don't be afraid to, to bug people. And also, pitch way more businesses or people than you think you need to because if you approach 20 maybe five or three will say yes or maybe and then you have to talk to them a little bit more so approach way more than you think you need you would actually need and well in advance like you said to be organized obviously I'm planning you need to do this kind of quite in advance because that's quite a lot of of legwork to be doing that yeah I mean so don't yeah you know say to them all a month before I'm planning exactly. to look, yeah right yeah I mean I was I was more excited about promoting my book than writing it so yeah, I saw that on your, yeah. your, your book training I laughed when I saw that, that was Casey great. was getting emails from me my publisher was getting emails like as I was writing chapter one I'm like oh I just had this idea for how I could promote he was like Kristen write the <laughs> oh, book yeah. first <laughs> um, but I was planning my book promotion strategy about 12 months before I launched the book. Um, So, and that's, I I felt like that was even a bit too short of time because I had so much I wanted to do. So give yourself a lot more time than you think you would need. So this is the other thing too with like Kickstarter crowdfunding things. I often get emails from people that are like, okay, so next week I'm going to launch my Kickstarter. How do I make a video? (laughs) And, you know, I don't want to make people feel bad who, you know, who might be coming from that angle, but Maybe it's just the marketing brain thing, but I like to give myself, and I always tell people, give yourself at least six months to prep for something like anything sponsor-related because people mm-hmm. need time. A lot of bigger businesses need to make sure they have it in their budget if yeah. it's something that they do. Excellent. Now, that's really, really good advice. I'm glad you shared that. I've learned a few things and tips from there, so I really appreciate you saying that. So just getting towards the last couple of questions now. In terms of advice, what about, so because you've done this thing, you've had this, you know, full-time job, security, job that you loved, etc. And you knew that you, you know, wanted to start your own business and be self-employed. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to people who are in that situation now mm-hmm. and they think, yeah, I want to do what Kristen's done. I want to do it similar to what Kristen done. I want to quit my job and start a business. What advice would you give them mm-hmm. um, before making that leap from employment to mm-hmm. self-employed? You're going to have to start before you're ready. You're never going to feel ready to do it. Now, it would be easy for me to say... Like a lot of people say, just quit your job and you'll figure it out. But I've since learned and decided that uh, if I were to do it again, despite everything kind of 
magically falling into place as best as it could, you know, as it worked out. I would definitely have, have tried to plan more for my passive income strategies and, and, and streams, passive income streams, um, before jumping into just quitting and, and, and praying that it worked. Because, yeah, it can work. But I also recognize now that because I grew up in a middle-class, white, North American family who supports my, all my crazy ideas and, in, and over the years have helped me out financially when I needed it, I understand that a lot of people aren't in that position. Yeah. So I took a leap that I could say was just a leap of faith, but I, in the back of my mind, I knew I had this cushion yes. of the support. Yeah, so I would, now I would tell people, like a few years ago when I started, I would be that person who's like, anyone can travel, anyone can do it, quit your job, do the thing. But I'm much more of a believer now in just being a bit more prepared. That's not to say that you're going to feel prepared when you're, <laughs> you know, you've got to just like cut the cord at some point. So I think it's up to the person in terms of what feels comfortable for them, but I would definitely have like six to 12 months of livable income set aside and then getting a good base of whatever that first business is that you want to do, get that up and running and, and even just breaking, breaking even with that before committing to leaving. Now I've met leaving your full-time job. I met a lot of people that have just jumped and gone and it's been fine. And other people that have gone back to the nine to five things yeah. that didn't work. So there's there's not a one size fits all with this sort of a thing, um, and I do strongly believe that you just have to listen to what your intuition is telling you. Um, but don't but try to differentiate between the fear of getting started and what actually is an unsafe place to be, and mm -hmm. that's so tricky because it's different for everyone. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, no matter what, even if you're so prepared that you could live for years off of whatever you've saved. Um, You've just got to start before you're ready. You're never going to feel yeah. totally ready. No, I love that. That's wonderful advice. <laughs> so just final question then. What's your long-term vision for yourself? Mm -hmm. and your Are you going to keep traveling, do the digital nomad? you see yourself settling down somewhere? Are you going to grow? Tell us a bit more about the, the long-term vision. Oh, I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I the last few years I've started to just, I plan about three to six months out from where I am now. and And it's all based on again, kind of what I'm feeling or where I need to be um, ge geographically and with work stuff. Um, my priority lately has really felt like I need to focus more on the, the money side of my stuff because I started out that way and it was good. Um, and the few um, digital products I had created were doing well. And then I got really swept up in wanting to travel abroad and do all this stuff. And so I kind of set those things aside. And I've only been relying on one or two freelance clients to keep me going financially. Um, and so what I'm seeing now is that I will be going back to the slow travel that I was doing early on. So three to six months in one place um, and really digging back into my passive income stuff. I would like to relaunch my um, how to launch and promote your book on a zero dollar budget ebook. I would like to relaunch that, but with more oomph because I I completed it last winter, quickly put it out there and then got distracted by this vegan travel contest that I was entering and and started my international travel. So I'm going to refocus on a few products that I've already um, that I've already launched. I'm going to polish them up a little bit and put them back out there, but with um, with more focus on doing it in a in a way that I would tell someone to do it. You know, taking more time to prepare, promote, get it out there, so that they can start running on their own and creating passive income in that regard. Um, 
yeah, so I'm going to focus on those. I think I'm going to do that while I'm in Thailand for the next few months. Um, and then I know that I have to be back in the U.S. for February for some VegFest stuff that I'll be speaking at. Um, and this summer, I think I'll be spending a few months in Toronto. I have a friend that live, that's moving there now, and so I'm going to go spend some time there. Um, and then I think... In the last few weeks, I've decided that I'm going to try to get a 12-month uh, visa for um, travel visa for Australia. So oh, I'm going to come, come back. Come yeah, and hang out. That's yeah. such good news. You obviously like it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I great. really like it a lot. And Fantastic. I thought, um, I'm actually thinking about buying a van and traveling around like I did oh, in the U.S. There's, there's your second book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, so, I mean, it's, it's not just kind of one focused thing, which has always kind of been my downfall, I think, is that I I get excited about all the things. And I tell people, focus on one or two things at a time, you know, <laughs> and I have trouble following my own advice. And, and yeah, so I have a few ideas of what the next year will look like. But this is all, everything I've mentioned to you, nothing has planned or confirmed. It's all just over the last few weeks of start, what started coming to me. And I tend to kind of um, think over the new ideas that come. And then the ones that really excite me the most, I get more and more drawn to them. And then I'll start digging in and doing research and planning. And and then from there, I kind of let it fall into place. Like if, if there are big challenges in making the Australia work visa thing work out, then I'll know that maybe that's not the right time and I'll look to something else. So yeah. um, it's really hard to answer that question because... I really just kind of go with the wind, um, which is a beautiful um, opportunity that I have in in this lifetime. Um, But it can be scary, too, because I I never know what's around the corner. But my priority is paying down my student loan debt, because as a North American (laughs) student, I have that. So student loan debt has to be my priority. And then just um, focusing on creating a comfortable income that I don't have to bother my parents every now and then to be like, hey guys, oh, I can't get home. Will you help me? Yeah, yeah. got it. That's wonderful. <laughs> You've shared such a wonderful amount of advice, like just, you know, your whole experience, like, you know, with the online marketing, walking your talk, especially the listening to your intuition, which I think is a really important one. And like you said, differentiating between genuine kind of fear and, you know, that voice that, mm. you know, is calling to us, but a lot of us try to suppress it and go mm-hmm. for the safe option. So I think it's a wonderful, very inspiring what you're doing. I think <laughs> For anyone considering, you know, becoming a digital nomad and, you know, in, in any way, you, you've shared some wonderful tips and advice cool. and expertise. So thank you so much for joining me, Kristin. Oh, thanks for having me. I had a good time. <laughs> so that was Kristin Lajeunesse of Kale Media and will travel for vegan food. You can find out more at kristinlajeunesse.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 46. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Canadian vegan milk brand Vegemo is now available in around 400 Loblaw companies' stores across the country. Vegemo is the first and only non-dairy milk to be made only from vegetables, potatoes, tapioca and pea protein. It's received many awards and accolades, including being named one of 10 most innovative new products at the 2015 Grocery Innovation Canada Show, was one of three finalist brands for Best New Beverage for the Next Year Awards at the Natural Product Show in Anaheim, California, and at the same show it was voted the Best New Vegan Product by Veg News Magazine. 
With the expanded distribution, Vegemo can now be found in select Loblaws, Fortinos, Zares, Provigo, Real Atlantic Superstores and Real Canadian Superstores across Canada. Sold in those stores that have a natural products section. See how creative vegan businesses can be. I hadn't heard of Vegemo and I'm always keen to learn about different ways to make non-dairy milk. Great to see this expansion across Canada. Sales of vegan food in the UK were up by 1,500% in the past year, according to figures released earlier this month by British online supermarket Ocado, reports the London Economic. Ocado's sales of Alpro unsweetened almond milk have gone up by 2,343% since 2015. And that's the equivalent of over 265,000 litres or around 3,300 baths full of the nut-based milk. Vegetarian alternatives are also up thousands of percentage points, as are sales of snacks such as smoked tofu and cauldron falafel. In the run-up to Christmas, sweet treats are also on the increase. For example, sales of Alpro Vanilla Soya Custard are up 1,142%. Rakusen's non-dairy chocolate digestives are up 1,643%. And Booja Booja Hunky Punky Chocolate Ice Cream, what a fantastic name, (laughs) I love it, is up 2,756%. I'm not surprised. You you want to buy that just for the name alone. (laughs) Jacques Thudichum, buying manager, Chill Prepared Foods at Ocado, said, Consumer appetite for vegan-friendly foods in the UK is showing no sign of slowing down, as flexitarianism emerges as the key trend of the moment. We've listened to our customers and have hugely expanded our vegan selection this year, adding new and exciting products each week to become one of our strongest categories. That's fantastic. It's great to see that the Brits are embracing vegan foods. And it's a great time to be part of this industry. Meat alternative company Gardein has released a first-of-its-kind breakfast pocket complete with a vegan egg scramble, reports latest vegan news. Vegan sausage, spinach, red peppers, cheddar shreds and scrambled egg are inside the buns which are frozen. They can be microwaved if you like to do that and cook in just three minutes. The Scramble is the company's first breakfast-inspired product and the latest addition to its line of pocket foods, which include pepperoni pizza and pulled porkless. Retailers stocking the pockets include Publix, Winn-Dixie, Ingalls, Target and Rayleigh's, though they're not yet in every region of the US. A list of stores selling the products are available on the Gardein website. I love seeing the new creations by renowned and popular meat alternative companies like Gardein. And it's something you've got to do as a vegan business owner. You've got to stay relevant, innovate constantly and make sure that you're meeting the changing wants and needs of your customers. British sandwich chain Pret-a-Manger are on a roll. Yes, pun intended. (laughs) Couldn't help it. Just a few weeks after announcing they're planning to open more veggie pret stores after the huge success of their central London one during the summer this year, they've added the first ever vegan menu item to their Christmas menu, reports Fortune. 
The Very Merry Christmas Lunch Baguette contains malted bread, parsnip puree and crispy caramelised onions and grilled carrots with festive spice chutney, toasted pistachios and peppery watercress. That sounds lovely. So it's another step in the right direction. Ideally, of course, we want all vegan menus all year round. But for a major sandwich giant like Pret-a-Manger to take these small steps is a good sign. Finally, the UK's first vegan frozen pizza company launched at Vivolution Vegan Festival recently after a successful equity crowdfunding campaign. One Planet Pizza in Norwich is owned by a group of vegan and veggie business people, including Mike Hill, co-owner of River Green Cafe, Jan Wise, owner of the Veggie Red Lion Pub, and Tanya Chapman, owner of Lou Vegan Cakes based in Leicester. They launched an equity crowdfunding campaign through Cedar on 4th of October, offering shares in 25% of the company to vegans and veg curious people. So people are able to invest a minimum of £16 and a maximum of £496. At the time of this report, the £20,000 target had been exceeded and is currently standing at over £27,000. The company's aim is to get their vegan frozen pizza range and their gluten-free range of ready meals, which are five classic dishes from around the world, established as a leading brand of frozen vegan foods and available from local whole food shops, health food shops and mainstream supermarkets across the UK within the next three years. So this is a smart way to raise funds. It's crowdfunding, but combined with investment. So instead of people just donating money to a business, they're getting a stake in the company. Now, of course, there are risks that the share value could go down, but it may also go up and investors will receive a payment in proportion to the shares they hold. You can find out more at One Planet Pizza's website, where there's a link to the Cedar platform. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.